How are you this morning? Amen. Let's get our Bibles out. What a nice time of worship we had together. Amen. This morning we're going to be doing a topical study here. I'm going to teach for a couple weeks at least, God willing, about the rapture and the rewards of the overcomer. So how many know that uh, there is a catching away of the church? All right, let me try this again. Let me see. Maybe this side is saved. How many know there's a catching away of the church? Amen. There is a catching away of the church. I want to teach you about that and uh, the various theories about the catching away of the church we're going to talk to you about. And um, how many have heard the term rapture before? Amen. Okay. So we're, we're biblically literate here, and that's a good thing. But let's start... Uh, by praying and thanking God for the word this morning and asking the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and to convince us of truth this morning. Amen. Because you know what? We got to know when we're going, who's going, and why we would be going. But at some point, we're going to be going. Amen. There's different theories, but the word is pretty pretty clear and uh, on a lot of things that we should be looking for the blessed hope, and that's the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning for the word. I thank you uh, for solid teaching and doctrine. God, help us, Lord, to know what we need to know. Some of these things are, are not so clear in the word that we can make a definitive doctrinal stance. But, Lord, we want to know all of what the word says, and we want to look for your coming and be ready for it. That's the most important thing, Lord, that we are ready for your coming. And so open our eyes and our understanding. And Father, I pray that as we hear this, we would begin to align things in our life that are out of order. Father, that so that we would be in perfect order with you, looking for Jesus's return and not as foolish virgins with no oil in our lamps, but that there'd be oil in our lamps. I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice, everyone in this uh, church, Lord, including me, would have oil in our lamps. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the rapture and the rewards of the overcomer. By God's grace, we're just going to talk about the rapture today. Let's start by looking with the, at the word rapture. Many of you raised your hand, said you heard that word before. The first thing you should know about the word rapture is you will not find it in the Bible. Have you ever read that in there? If you have, throw that Bible out. It's wrong. The word rapture is not in the Bible. The Greek word used to describe the surprise catching away of the church. Now, there is a surprise catching away of the church detailed in many scriptures, amen? In fact, I passed you out a sheet a couple weeks ago that showed the difference between, you know, the catching away of the church, the surprise, and the glorious uh, appearing and the, the blessed hope. They're two different things. Jesus is going to come at one point when he comes back to rule in the millennial reign for a thousand years, and every eye is going to see him. Yet the scripture describes over and over again where he's going to descend with the last trump and he's going to be in the air. We're going to meet him in the air and only the believers, only the church will see him, okay? So the, the catching away and the, the surprise snatching away of the church is described over and over. In fact, the Greek word that describes that, remember the, the New Testament wasn't written in English, they do these shows where Jesus has a British accent. Did you ever see that? I'm like, are you kidding me? He's a Jew. Blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus with a British accent. For the kingdom of God. Yeah, okay. 
The Greek word, because this was translated in the Greek, the Greek word is harpazo. And harpazo means to snatch away by force and to remove from harm's way. Think about that. To snatch away by force, to remove from harm's way. I heard one Bible commenter comment that in a modern Greek, a Greek man explained to him, it would be as if you grabbed a child that was in the middle of the road about to be hit by a car by the hair and snatched him out of the way. It shows that amount of force. So, you know, that word harpazo is what? Is a descriptive word of when Jesus snatches away the church by force. Why? To get us out of harm's way because the tribulation is coming. So when the Greek culture gave way to the Roman culture, something interesting happened. What happened is more people were now speaking Latin than they were speaking Greek. So St. Jerome translated the Greek scriptures into Latin, and his translation was called the Latin Vulgate translation. This is all church history, Bible history that you know we should be aware of. Now the Latin word translated from harpazo was rapeo, and that means to seize or be caught up. So where we get this word rapture from is from rapio, which means to be seized or caught up. And it's a direct translation from harpazo. So there's your Greek and Latin for this morning and understanding where the word came from. Now, the English word that describes rapio is the rapture. So the rapture is a theological word that we use to describe an event that happens in the Bible. And you might say, well, why use a word that isn't in the Bible? Well, that's a funny thing to say because do you know what word is not in the Bible? Bible. I dare you to find the word Bible in the Bible. Hello, Jesus said, never said, open up your Bibles. Paul never said, open up your Bibles. The Bible is a theological word to describe the 66 books in our canon that make up Scripture. Do you know that word Bible is not found in there? It's a theological word. So you know what else is not found in the Bible? The word Trinity. Do you believe in the Trinity? Elohim is a, is a plural pronoun that was used in the Old Testament to describe the Godhead. You'll find the word Godhead in the Bible. You'll find an instance where God speaks down from heaven at Jesus' baptism and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You have the Father speaking, the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit coming down. What's that? That's the Trinity. Trinity is a word that we use to describe the Godhead, but it's not found in the Bible. You know what else is not found in there? Incarnation. You know what else is not found in there? Demon. The word demon is not translated in the 1611 version of the King James Bible. Unclean spirit, foul spirit, yes. So there are words that we use in Christianity that are theological words that not, are not necessarily in the Bible, but they describe something in the Bible. So I'm belaboring this to, for you to understand because there's people who say, oh, I don't believe in the rapture. That's not even in the Bible. Come on. It's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the New Testament. And understand that that word came from a Greek word that was changed to a Latin word, and it's a theological word that we used. Are you okay out there? You, you look like Bible students with glazed looks on their face. So uh, that's where we understand the word rapture has come from. Now, there are four views of the rapture or the catching away of the church. And there are four main views out there today that uh, people, uh, scholars will have these certain views. And uh, we're going to talk about them. Let me preface this by saying this is an inexact study to a degree. God's word has given us a lot of clues, but not complete clarity. Amen. So there are some different theories that you're going to hear today about the catching away of the church. The church agrees it will be caught away. It's just when. 
okay? And the most important thing I want you to know is that you're ready to be caught away, and you're going. Because there's some people who are not going, and we're going to talk about that, God willing, if we get into part two of this. If he catches us away before that, we'll just know because they won't be there. Come on, Sunday morning. Come on, it was funny. That was all I had this morning, so... So four main views. There's not complete clarity. We can't be dogmatic with this. There's many good people who are saved, who love Jesus, who are on uh, all sides of the debate here. It basically breaks down into two camps now these days with the amount of light and understanding we have. But let's talk about the four views of the rapture. The first view is this, the pre-tribulation view. What does that mean? Pre-trib means that the church will be snatched away. Then the tribulation will start. When the church is taken up, Jesus removes the bride. Then the Antichrist reveals himself, and the tribulation starts. Okay, so that's a pre-trib rapture. That means we go before God pours his wrath out on this world. If you've heard me teach through the book of Revelation, I've done it twice. When you start to open the seals and pour out the bowls and all the wrath of God hitting the earth, it is just an amazing event. It is a time of tribulation, uh, three and a half years into the tribulation, which is a seven-year period. The great tribulation will begin. It's a time of God pouring his wrath out on the wicked. Why? To destroy them? No, to get their attention that they might repent and be saved. Even with the church removed and the Holy Spirit removed with the church, there will still be revival on the earth for those who won't take the mark of the beast. So th there's a lot going on there. But a pre-tribulation rapture, it happens like this. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talks to the churches. Uh, he, he, he counsels them. He corrects them. And verse 4 and 5 he snatches the church up, and we are up in the throne room worshiping God with the 24 elders. In Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation begins. We're going to talk about what I just laid out, the chronology of that, in just a little bit. But believers are taken up before the Antichrist reveals himself. Now, I believe we'll, we'll begin to know who he is, but he's not going to assert himself until we're gone. Why? Because the restrainer is in us, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, describes John being caught up into heaven, uh, and it is a prototype of what the is going to happen to the church if you believe the pre-tribulation view. Revelation 4, 1 through 2. After this, I looked, and therefore before me was an open door standing open in heaven, and a voice I had... And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet. There's the last trump. And what does the voice say? Come up here, and I will show you what you must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit, and therefore, and there before me was the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So it's a picture of here. John's there. The voice speaks like a trumpet. It says, come up here. He's caught up. And where does he end up? In the throne room of God. And what happens there? The whole church is there worshiping with the 24 elders. And you read uh, Revelation chapter 4, you'll see it. This is the, the text where we get the prototype for the pre-tribulation rapture. Believers in the pre-trib view, are kept from the wrath of God because the wrath of God is meant for the wicked. Amen? I have a hard time believing that God would put his bride through wrath. We're going to talk about that in the other views. Let's look at the second view. The second view, and this is not uh, as popular a view, but it is a, a theological view with some arguments to it. The pre-wrath tribulation view. 
Now, this says that after the end of the church age, only totally committed Christians are caught up and leaving carnal Christians behind to endure the tribulation. Now, there's some truth in here because when you study what Jesus says to the churches, some of the churches he sternly rebukes, and one of them he says flat out, you're going through the tribulation. To Philadelphia, he says, I'll spare you from the season of trial that's about to come. So one of the churches, he says, I'm going to keep you from the trib. And one of the churches, he flat out says, you're going through it. He said a lot of things to the dead church, to the church that had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, to the church that worshiped Jezebel. Come on, you remember, you remember this teaching. So there is, some, there is some good understanding here. I think there's a component of this that I can, I can agree with, and, and probably you can too, that totally committed Christians are the ones that are going. That's when we talk about in our next ses- session the, the rewards of the overcomer. Carnal Christians, you know, I would not want to be a carnal Christian when Jesus returns. I would not be, want to be full of sin and drunkenness and carousing and immorality and adultery and fornication. Hello? But yet we know we have people like that sitting in churches. Oh, well, everybody's going to go as long as you said the magic prayer. That's not what Jesus taught. So the pre-wrath trib view says that only committed Christians will go. They'll be caught up. The carnal Christians will be left behind to, to hopefully be purified by the trib and repent. Carnal Christians will either be martyred or endure to the end. That's the only way they can be saved. Those who survive will be caught up with Jesus at his glorious appearing. So they miss the first train, and hopefully they catch the second one. Hello. Let's talk about mid-trib. Are you following with me? Are you getting this here today? There's a mid-tribulation view that quite simply means exactly what it says, that people are caught up in the middle of the tribulation. Remember, Daniel told us the tribulation period is a seven-year period, so the middle of that would be three and a half years. Some people think that the church is caught up at the midpoint. Uh, the, The midpoint changes from the tribulation to the great tribulation. So they say God's wrath is really only poured out hot and heavy in the second half, and that's not for the church, but the first half the church will be around. There again, these are, these are the theories. Um, you know, there, there are some scriptures that some people say support these things. Uh, we're going to talk about what we believe here and what I believe, and we'll give you some proofs, but the mid-tribulation theory says God will use the church to stand against the darkness and the Antichrist for half of the time, and then he'll withdraw it only after the persecution and martyrdom has purified it. The church will be caught up with the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. Remember we said those two witnesses that testify and harass the Antichrist and and just, uh, you know, we, we believe that they're Enoch and Elijah because they're the only two that never tasted death. And if you study Revelation chapter 11, you're going to see pretty quick that that's probably who they are. But the mid-trib view says that the church will be caught up with them. And if you study uh, what happens to them is they preach and they harass and they do all they do. And then the Antichrist kills them and they lay in the street for a while. And then God resurrects them and takes them up to heaven. Amen. Who said the Bible was boring? Amen. This is better than any sci-fi movie I ever saw. And this is going to happen. Amen. So... That's the mid-trib view. Let's talk about the post-tribulation view. Now, the pre-trib and the post-trib are the most popular. They're the ones that, you know, uh, most camps fall into these days. The mid and the the pre-wrath one, not so much anymore. Remember, things have changed over time. More pieces of the prophetic 
puzzle have fallen into place. At the time when this was written, people didn't understand any of this. We're on the other side of a lot of things. Israel is a nation now. I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened. So the the pre and the post are the most popular views. Here's what the post-tribulation view says. The rapture will occur at the end of the tribulation, leaving the church to endure all seven years of God's wrath. Whoever survives is caught up to meet Christ when he returns in the glorious appearing. God has never spared his people through trials throughout history, and the tribulation of Revelation will be no different. That's what they say. We're going to talk about that. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Persecution will purify the church and ready the bride for his coming. So that's what the post-tribulation view thinks. Now, what churches ascribe to these views? Well, the the post-trib is a view that uh, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Anglican, and mainline Protestant churches, they all go with the post-trib rapture. What churches believe in a pre-trib rapture? Evangelicals, Pentecostals, and Baptists all believe in a pre-trib rapture. Now, I find it really interesting that some of the churches that don't believe that Jesus will snatch the church up away from his wrath are the very churches that Jesus rebuked when he spoke to the churches. And even some of them that he told, you're going through. So they don't believe. So they're right. Some of them are going to go through it. And I find it equally as interesting to see that the Philadelphia-style churches, the ones that are evangelical, that preach the gospel without melding it with the things of man and Babylonian paganism, those churches are the ones that do believe that they're going to be caught up first. Do you find that interesting at all? Amen. It prays to be a Philadelphia-style church. Read what God says about them, the favored church, and the fact that we win souls, we preach the gospel, we make converts, we see the moves of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's the breakdown there. Because we are evangelicals, because we have Pentecostal roots, and we're Bapticostals, and we're all that stuff, I want to talk to you about the pre-trib rapture and give you five supporting arguments why those in the evangelical camp believe this uh, theory about the rapture. Now, remember, it's not dogmatic. Remember, we don't, you know, we don't say, well, you know, those people aren't Christians unless they, there are some denominations that unless you believe in the pre-trib rapture, they will not ordain you as a minister. And the wind gets sucked out of the room. Jesus said we shouldn't divide ourselves over things like this there because you know what, whether he comes before or after or in the middle, you know what, at some point, all of us have to believe in pan trib. It's all going to pan out. And if you live in right and you live in ready, when, when the train goes, you're going to be on it. Amen. And God will protect and keep us. But we, we do our evangelicals. Pentecostals, Baptists, all of those Philadelphia-style churches, praise God. I, I believe that uh, you know, th- they're, uh, they're pre-trib. And let's talk about five supporting arguments of pre-trib. First argument for pre-trib is biblical chronology. The book of Revelation lays out what's going to happen as it lays out the chapters. Now, we have no reason to doubt that chronology, but, but if you look at it in Revelation chapter 1 through 3, Jesus speaks to the seven churches, okay? He speaks to them. He corrects the ones that need to be corrected. He, he rebukes some of them. In Revelation 4 and 5, John hears the trumpet. He hears, come up here, and then he's up in the throne room with the saints of God worshiping God around the throne. In Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation begins. Did you get that? That's the chronology laid out in the book of Revelation. 
Why would we doubt that? Why would we think that God would write it in there out of order? Well, no, you know, first he judges the churches, then the churches go through the tribulation, and then, you know, he catches them away, and then the, tri- the wrath. And no, the chronology is laid out really clear, and that's a really good argument to say just the way God put it in the scripture is the way it's going to happen. He judges the churches. The churches are caught up to be with him. The tribulation begins in chapter 6. Interestingly enough, the church is never mentioned again from from where it's caught up there and and it's never mentioned there from chapter 6 to chapter 18 he says nothing about the church he's totally dealing with israel so if we're going to be anything but pre-trib we're going to have to think that jesus forgets about his church and leaves them to go through god's wrath not a chronological argument that is easy to buy into Uh, you know there is no instruction given to the church how to deal with the antichrist in the book of revelation hello So Jesus says, hey, love you. You're my bride. You're on your own. Hope you make it. God seals and protects the Jews, and he gets them away from the wrath of the dragon, and he hides them in Petra, and he covers them and preserves them. And a third of them will survive as a remnant, but he has no protection, no covering for the church. He leaves them without a clue and without a covering. And that's what you would be expected to believe if you believed anything other than a pre-trib rapture. Number two, the second argument is this. God deals with man in three camps. He always deals with mankind, and he breaks them down into three groups. Here's the three groups, the church, Israel, and the Gentiles. All throughout Scripture, God has this three-pronged approach in dealing with mankind. He talks about the the fact that there are the Jews, and they are Israel, and then there are the Gentiles, and then he also speaks about the church. So there's the three separate entities that are distinctly different, and they each have different destinies. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 32, says, Wherefore... Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Listen to this, verse 32. Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church. There's the three groups mentioned all in one sentence there. Okay, so God approaches them. The Jews are his chosen people, a special people. They have a special destiny. The Gentiles have a destiny. Those who come out of the Jewish roots and the Gentile roots and be and accept Jesus Christ, they become the church. Always understand this. There are three camps with three destinies. The Jews destinies and the Gentiles destiny and the churches are all a little different. So when people read the book of Revelation and God's talking about the Jews and they think it's the church, they come to some wrong conclusions. When people are reading the book of Revelation and they don't understand when, you know, he says a certain word and it's referring to, uh, you know, the, the church and not the Jews or the Gentiles and not the church, that's where the confusion comes in. So it's the three-pronged approach. Now, Jeremiah 37 uh, talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. In, in the book of Revelation, during the tribulation, the Jews will go through the tribulation. God will protect them from, uh, you know, from the Antichrist and from the false prophet. But it's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. Listen to what Jeremiah 30, 6 through 7 says. Asking now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Whether for do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail. And all faces are turned into paleness. 
Alas, for the day is great so that none is like it. There's nothing like the tribulation. There's no other time in man's history. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So God basically saying what he's going to do with the Jews there. It's going to be a time of great travail and trouble and tribulation. Why? Because it's the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, He talks about the Gentiles in Luke 21. 23 through 24, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be a great distress in the land, a wrath against the people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Wow. God speaking about the Gentiles. Who are the, those nations that, you know, are, are not Jewish and they're not the church and they're Gentiles? What are they going to do all throughout history? They've, you know, Jerusalem has been this football that they kick back and forth. God says the time of the Gentiles uh, will be fulfilled. And he talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. So I want you to understand the three camps there. That's going to help you understand how God deals with the church differently than he does with the lost world than he does with the Jewish people. Uh, The third argument for a pre-trib rapture is this, the stated purpose of God's wrath. How you doing out there? Hang in there. We're going to talk about wrath, but we're going to find out it's for some and it's not for others. Now, God states his view about the purpose of his wrath, and the wrath of God is not for the church. Hello. The wrath of God is not for the church. Were you saved by grace or by wrath? Were you purified by grace or by wrath? Is your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life by grace or wrath? It's grace. So the wrath of God is not for the church. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Jesus' resurrection delivers us from the wrath of God. Why? Because the wrath of God is just to bring sinners to repentance so they'll be saved. Once you're saved, there's no more need for wrath on your life. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and wickedness of men, right? Once we're in Christ, there's no need for wrath anymore. I thought you'd be more excited about that. Lord, let them taste some wrath this week. If they didn't clap, amen. So the wrath of God is not for the church, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not appointed us to wrath. Is that pretty clear? Do we need to do a Greek word study on that one? For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So the wrath of God is not for the church. It seems absurd to me to think that God would use the wrath of God to purify the church. Certainly those who say they're Christians and are not will taste the wrath of God. Why? Because they're not in Christ. They're just in church. You can be in church and not be in Christ. Sleeping in a a garage doesn't make you a car any more than coming to church makes you a Christian. Hello. So let's get it right. The wrath of God is for those who are outside of a relationship with Christ. Those who are in Christ, the wrath of God has accomplished its purpose. It's no longer for them. The perspective of mid and post tribbers is that God will always let his people go through the wrath he pours out on the wicked. And you know what? That's not, imbi- that's not biblical. And I'm going to show you how it's not biblical. 
the, the Israelites went through 10 plagues in Egypt. Did the 10 plagues of Egypt affect the Israelites the way it affected the Egyptians? Come on. Did, did their first, they had to do certain things. They had to be positionally right. They had to put the bl- blood over their doorpost, but their firstborn didn't die. I don't know about you, but the blood is over the doorpost of my life, and it's the blood of Jesus, amen? So God knew how to protect his children through the wrath. He poured them 10 plagues out on Egypt, and it affected them. Bang, bang, bang. And through the whole thing, he preserved his people right in the midst of it. So people say, oh, God's people have always gone through the wrath of God. Well, that's not entirely biblically accurate at all. In fact, Jesus said his coming would be like this. And he, he described his coming, it would be like the days of Lot and the days of Noah. Please pay attention and track with me. This is very important. At this point, we need to be theologically literate. There's going to be false teachers and false teaching, and we need to get this. Amen. Some of us need to turn off our computers and our phones and our TVs and open up this and get it in here. I'm going to wait for that one. So Luke 17, 24 through 29, listen to it. For just like lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky shines to the other part, of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So it's going to be a quick surprise coming. That's very important to notice. Verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. That's happening. Verse 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. There will be eating and drinking, they will be marrying, and they will be given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed him all. Now listen to this. As it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling. They were planting and they were building. But on the day that Lot went in, out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So Jesus said, my coming will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. This is important. What happened in the days of Lot? Righteous Lot was warned about the wrath of God that was to come, and he was extracted out of Sodom before the wrath of God came. Amen? He was harpazo, snatched away. In fact, God sent angels to bring him out. In fact, the angels said, we can't do a thing until you're out of here. Why? Because the wrath of God was not for the righteous. God knows how to protect the righteous from his wrath. He did it with Lot. Now, what about Noah? Jesus said, my coming will just be like the day, it'll be just like the days of Noah. Righteous Noah was warned. God instructed him to build an ark. What happened? God didn't send a drop of rain until Noah's family was in the ark. God extracted them, harpazo. He yanked them out of harm's way, and then he sent the flood and destroyed the wicked. Come on this morning. God has always protected the righteous from his wrath. And poured it out on the wicked. People who say that God uses his wrath to pure, that's not scriptural. And so, what a great argument for a pre trib rapture. Let's talk about number four Jesus' plans for his bride. You know, once he snatches us up and we're in the throne room, we're going to be worshiping. We're going to the 24 elders. It's going to be awesome. They're going to have a Holy Ghost band with the angels, lots of guitars. It's going to be real cool. No drums, Phil, sorry. 
There's no drummers in heaven, though. We tease each other. But really, we both don't like keyboard players, so sorry, Dana. You play other instruments, though, right? You can be saved. So we're up in the throne room there. What Jesus has plans for the bride. The scripture tells us three things will happen when Jesus snatches away the bride. Number one, we're going to visit the Father's house. You want to go see Daddy God's house? Amen. He's probably got our pictures up on the wall. We're going to visit the Father's house. Number two, we're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. And all our works are going to be tried, and we're going to be given rewards. You say, well, what do I need rewards for? Man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Listen, we're going to get crowns for our good works that we do. And what do we need them for? So we can throw them at Jesus' feet. Amen? I want to have something to throw at Jesus' feet, and I hope you do too. So, you know, we're going to be at the Father's house. We're going to check out what's going on there. We're going to go to, you know, before Jesus, and we're going to uh, sit before the judgment seat and have our works tried, and then we are all going to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Jesus is going to pour out the new wine. It's going to be a party. The world has partied all this time. Now it's time for the church to party at the table with Jesus. Amen? So those three things scripture describes will happen to the church while the tribulation is going on. So those things have to happen. So if, uh, you know, if we're, that can only happen in three out of the four theories we covered. It can't happen in the post-trib. Why? Because as soon as we got caught up, we would have to make a U-turn and come right back down. And Jesus is going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and start the millennial reign. There has to be time for these three events to happen. That could happen uh, pre-trib, it can happen pre-wrath, it can happen mid-trib, but it's going to be real hard to squeeze. I don't know how you're going to squeeze that in there for post-trib. Hello? Think about it. It's logical. I mean, maybe we're going to pause in the air for a long time. So Jesus has plans for the bride. That only works with a few of the theories. Those three things have to happen before we come back with Christ to rule and reign. Number five, I want to talk to you as we conclude this message with the preservation of the doctrine of imminency. Imminency is, uh, what is the doctrine of imminency? Well, I'm so glad you asked this morning. I'd love to explain it. Watch and pray and live ready. That's imminency. What does it mean? It means that Jesus could come anytime. His return is imminent. So if Jesus could return at any time, means we have to live ready. You know, when you knew your parents were home, like, doing an hour, that's when you started, you know, vacuuming the cheese doodles off the couch and, you know, turn the TV on the appropriate channel. Hello? Come on. The doctrine of imminency. Jesus is coming back. Do you believe he's coming back? Do you believe the Bible says we should live ready? I mean, I've preached a hundred messages on it of how the scripture teaches us that we should live ready. Why? Because it's a surprise coming. And that's the point. The, the, the surprise coming that the Bible teaches mandates that there has to be a, a lifestyle of readiness lived by believers. So if we're going through the tribulation, why would we bother to live ready? We should just do what we want until the Antichrist shows up. You see, if we are looking for the Antichrist to appear and the tribulation to begin because we're going through it, Jesus can't return at any time, so there's no need for us to live ready. Come on, get this. I, I know it's a little tough, a little theology here, but let's, we're meat eaters, right? And so if, if, if we're looking for the tribulation, if we're looking for the Antichrist, if nothing's going to happen until that happens, then it destroys the imminency that the Bible says we're to have, that we're to live ready for a surprise coming. 
the, the, the text, over and over again, the Bible text remind us, even the parable of the ten virgins, so interesting that, you know, the bridegroom came at a surprise time. They didn't know. In fact, half of them missed it. And listen to this. What Another picture of a pre-trib rapture. What does it do? The bridegroom comes. He takes those who are ready, who had oil. He takes them to a wedding feast. Where are we going when we go up there? Amen. We're going up there. Why? So we can go to the wedding feast. You see, all these things begin to fall in place when we understand the right terminology and what the scripture is actually saying. Uh, the parable of the ten virgins really, uh, really nails down the doctrine of imminency. Uh, Matthew 24, 39 through 41, listen to this. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Remember, verse 40, look. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and one shall be left. Does that sound like a surprise? Two women will be grinding in the mill. One shall be taken and the other shall be left. So it's a snatching away. It's a harpazo. It's a pulling out of harm's way. Some will be taken and some will be left. That's why we have to live ready and watch for his coming. And if we believe anything other than a pre-trib rapture, then we don't have to be ready and watch for his coming. The pre-trib rapture is the only one that allows us to be looking for Jesus. All the other ones make us looking for the Antichrist. Who do you think God would rather have us be looking for? The scripture tells us over and over again to look for his coming. So there are five defenses of pre-trib. Now, you know, I encourage you to study some of these things if you are interested. But the bottom line is whether it's pre, pre-wrath, mid, post, pan, it's all going to pan out. And we've got to live ready to go. If, if it turns out to be a mid-trib and we have to go through some tribulation, God will take care of us. If it turns out to post-trib, that'll be a miracle. I'd, I, there's only one scripture that the whole theory hinges on, and it all boils down to the definition of what the elect is. In that case, the elect, he's talking to the Jews. So, you know, whatever the situation is, we have got to live ready. So next time we're together, I'm going to talk to you about the rewards of being an overcomer. Jesus is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming for the overcoming. He's coming for that faithful Philadelphia-style church. And you and I need to be that kind of believer. Amen? Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you this morning for a time of teaching with some good theology. God, every message can't be shouting, clapping, and goosebumps. Sometimes your children need to learn the solid truth of Scripture. Father, I pray that all of these theories and all of these understandings, though we lean one way or the other, Father, I pray that we wouldn't put our hope in eschatology, but we put our hope in Jesus, amen, and that we would live ready for his coming so that whenever he comes, we go. And I thank you for that. Help us, Lord, as uh, this season progresses here to dig in deeper to you, not to drift away from you, to get more of God and less of us, as John the Baptist said. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning.